in your work with a client, they are going to get very mad at you. They're going to be disappointed in you. Maybe they are going to maybe even use the word hate that will happen and have a long pause. I'm appreciative that you feel you can express what you're feeling. And I'm wondering what it is that you hate most about this. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Hello and welcome back to The Seasoned RD. If you're following this in real time, which is end of September 2022, you'll know that last week I did a repost. Life happens. I wasn't able to get this amazing episode with Haley Goodrich, registered dietitian, out last week in time. So Royce, my awesome producer, suggested a repost. I happened to be around a regular listener and asked them which one pops out in your mind. I immediately said the one with Sandra Kronberg and food as a religion. And I also remember Royce as a consumer saying how the episode impacted him knowing this but not having the language for it. So now to Haley Goodrich. I'm going to tell you, this is the heart of this podcast. When I first met Haley, she's much younger than I am, (laughs) but her messages were so seasoned. And spending time with her during this recording just reminds me it's not about years in the field. It's about finding your own path, having a plan for ourselves from the start, understanding what healthism is and how that impacts our clients, looking at our story of how we were trained. I love her description of the clinician body image and how we examine ourselves. And of course, bottom line is with all episodes, she talks about how she learned so much from supervision, whether she's providing it or receiving it. We don't have to know all the answers. And as I was listening to this episode to prepare to drop it, I cringed as I heard my own words. And We can talk about the therapeutic apology, and I could go through that, but that's an episode for another time. I cringed as I heard my words as Abby was describing a teen who straight up said things to her that could be hurtful. And here's an example of how we're always learning. I wish I could take back the moment where I'd said something about intentionally stressing the nervous system. My impact was not likely the intent and I want to stay accountable to my words. I can't possibly and you can't possibly create a safe space for everyone. That's not our job. Teenagers can be sassy and fun and salty and want to get a reaction and that was my intent but it may not have been the impact for you as you listen through. Listener comment, Rebecca, an RD professional working at a higher level of care for eating disorders, I admit I'm a podcast junkie and I have added yours to my rotation. Very much enjoyed the advice on goal weights last week. It was helpful with a client and their family I've been working with. And a standard disclaimer of what this podcast is and is not. 
We bring medical, nutrition, and therapy professionals who share passions to pique your interest in available modalities for the field of eating disorders. It is intended to inform and educate and not a substitute for professional training and supervision, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. Welcome Haley Goodrich to the Seasoned RD. I'm so happy to be here. Took a little bit of time for us to get on scheduling wise. And so I've just been anticipating this day. I'm very excited. Well, we appreciate your patience and we're excited to have you now. You're like a ray of sunshine. I'm just so excited to get into conversation with you, but we'll kind of just ease into things. So mountains or beach? Mountains. Easy. Okay. Quick. Yeah. Number two, breakfast or dinner? Ooh, gosh, it depends on the day and what I'm wanting, but I'm a brunch person. I know it's what you asked, but I love a good brunch, a mimosa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't what she asked, but we are faced with these questions of like black and white thinking or binary, Uh and the world is not like that. There are shades in between. So brunch is a perfect answer. And I'm a mountain person too. And the last icebreaker is audio book or paper book? Paper book through and through. And I love a good bookshelf. I still like to browse the, the um, books, bookstore. Uh, yes. I love the smell of a bookstore, the paper. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I and mean, that's kind of brings us into what this podcast is about is like bringing the old and the new. When I first started in the field, there weren't, I mean, we weren't this is embarrassing. We weren't using computers. We didn't have cell phones. So bring us back. I hope this isn't too traumatizing for you, but bring us back to your RD exam. You're a registered dietitian, right? What do you remember from that day? From my RD exam, this would have been 2013. Okay. So it was computer. It was on a computer. We were number two pencils. You were number two pencils. This was on a computer, 2013, I believe. Scared out of my mind. I did not have a great, let me back up even a little bit more. I did not have that great of an intern experience, unfortunately. It didn't feel completely supported coming into my exam. So I was very, very nervous, did not have a lot of confidence at all. So I just remember being incredibly nervous. Somehow made it through and passed and jumped for joy. And then I was like, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now what? And that is, you know, some of our listeners are just getting ready to take their exam or finish their internships and they're just have to get past that point. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, now Mm -hmm. what? So how did you get, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the now what is brunch with a mimosa. I think. (laughs) I'll tell you, when I found out I passed, I was so sick to my stomach. I couldn't, our friends all wanted to go out, but it was delivered by mail. I mean, snail mail, that's what we had. And so I was so sick to my stomach, even opening it Mm -hmm. that I, we went out, but I didn't last very long. I was just was, I needed to go chill for a little while. So yeah, brunch and a mimosa sounds Great. Okay. So how did you get into the field of nutrition and then eating disorders? Yep. I am going to go back even further. I was one of those that graduated with my bachelor's in biomedical science and didn't know what I wanted to do. I 
first started in biomedical science because I was going to be a physician, did a ton of shadowing. I really liked trauma in the ER and did not like kind of the politics in the hospital and the incredible amount of paperwork and liability and just kind of all the responsibility, I guess, that came with that and the big bill that came at the end of med school. So (laughs) I was just in that crossroads, which is so interesting. I see this with so many of my adolescent clients, this crossroads, this time period between like 18 and 24, such a confusing time, often lose ourselves or just have trouble finding ourselves. So I see a lot of my clients in that same time period can remember myself and give myself so much compassion. That sweet young Haley. So I went back to school when I didn't want to go to med school and decided to become a dietitian, partly out of true interest and partly out of my own sort of kind of type A disordered ways with food of I'm already really good at being super, and this is air quotes, healthy and I can help other people do this. So, you know, I was about to embark on a journey that I had no idea what was about to happen to me, what I was about to learn about myself. But clearly the the right path for me, because this is absolutely what my passion is. So that's what got me into dietetics. I had my first job was a clinical job in a hospital and hated it and thought I've made a huge mistake. This was like a month in. I've made a huge mistake. Once again, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But before I abandoned ship after all of that work, because what we were just talking about is it's grueling. It's hard, hard work, competitive. And I thought, let me give one other thing a shot before I just totally switch gears again, mostly because my husband was like, you're going to what? You're going to quit. So I said, I'm going to try private practice. And I knew I had no business experience or anything. So... (laughs) I don't recommend just, and at this time there weren't the, we have so many Facebook groups. Now we have so much, we're connected via via social media with practitioners across the world doing this, doing entrepreneurship, but then there, there was none of this. And so I just went for it many ups and downs. And luckily it worked out for me after many, many tears and I stuck with it and loved it. So that's what got me into private practice didn't like clinical dietetics and was going to not be a dietitian. So that's what got me into private practice, which then led to eating disorders. Because as soon as I got into private practice, and one of the things I didn't like about my clinical job was there was a conflict in philosophy. That's what was happening. I was seeing folks really, really struggling. And what I had been taught to do in my traditional training wasn't working. And I was very confused. I was confused why I was doing everything air quotes again, right? I was calculating the calorie needs. I was giving them to people. I was listening to their stories and believing them. And what they were telling me was not matching up with what the textbooks were saying and what my training was saying. And I got very curious and started diving into, I think my entry point was intuitive eating, the book, intuitive eating. And then that started to lead to finding health at every size, weight inclusive care, fat positivity, and very slowly became in love with treating eating disorders. As I realized all of my clients, almost all of them had, were some falling somewhere on the spectrum of disordered eating. And there were many, I was starting to learn as I was learning more about eating disorders, oh my gosh, these people are coming to me saying that they're, they don't know how to diet or their diets are failing. And instead they have an eating disorder. I'm realizing this matches up with the criteria I'm learning. That's how I got into eating disorders work. Oh gosh. 
see Abby, why I invited Haley on here. <laughs> She's so awesome. Okay, so you have said air quotes a couple times. Why air quote the word healthy? Because what my idea of healthy was when I thought I was the epitome of health, and I'm going to go into this field and teach others about health, was very rigid. It was very surface level. It was everything that we're taught by the media that health has a very specific look, it has a specific size. It means you're eating all the fruits and vegetables, you're running these half marathons, and you're, you're going through the motions and you're doing things right, as you've been told. But I now know that health has a much wider definition, and that varies very much from person to person. And that most of what I envisioned as health was very healthist, was very, yeah, was very, very, I'm very privileged to have that fit that mold, right? That our world sees as healthy, privileged in that. And that's what's allowed me to make it through much of like my medical care and much of my schooling without experiencing weight bias, weight stigma, and a lot Mm. of the dilemmas and hardships, trauma that my clients often face who are not in a body that looks like mine. Mm. So you mentioned we're taught by the media and as dietitians, we're taught in school too. Medical providers were taught this healthist. You all won't hear Caitlin, who's on with us today, just observing, but she's an intern with me right now. And we actually had a discussion about all the ist and isms, the ableisms and the racisms and the, um, it, 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 Haley, you did such a nice job too in describing the privilege that, that you have as a white woman of, well, and I won't put words in your identities, but that's what we're taught by media is that there's a certain way to be. Yeah. And I do, I fit that able-bodied, straight-sized or thin white woman with a lot of education privilege, financial stability, cisgendered, heterosexual. I really fit that mold, which when you think of the word dietitian, that's exactly what you think of, unfortunately. I, I mean, it's a, I'm really glad to see that as a new dietitian, I'm entering into a world where we are talking more about like the health isms and all of those things. And it doesn't have to be just as we are taught in school, but it's also challenging to be entering that world fresh off of the other extreme of what we learned in school. And Haley, you mentioned like this almost like 18 to 24 year old age is tricky. Like what, what do we want to do? What, what are we supposed to do? What are we interested in? So it can be difficult to find, I guess, your own positioning, what you truly believe in, in the world of so many extremes. So do you, would you have any guidance or suggestions to newer RDs, therapists, whoever listening? Yeah, I think this is such a good question. There's a lot we have to observe within ourselves and unpack as newer dietitians in the field. Some of it is our own stuff based on, because we're humans, right? We're humans. So we come with our own stories. We have those to unpack because if we don't, if we don't examine them and look at them, they will show up in our work because we're working with other humans. 
And then we also have to check and unpack and look at our story of how we were trained and how we got here. Because if we don't, again, that will also show up in our work with clients. And so lots and lots of looking at yourself as the clinician, sort of taking care of yourself from day one, looking at what I call kind of your clinician body image. If we were to use that parallel to the body image work we do with our clients to taking care of ourselves as the clinician, examining ourselves. And a lot of that's done through supervision, talking with our peers and our colleagues, but not basically not going into this work, thinking that we a know more than the person, the other client in the room with us, or that we have to know it all or have answers for them. I think our traditional training really sets us up to come into sessions with clients, expecting to have the answer. We often will then feel backed into a corner or at a loss for words, anxious, any of those things, because we can't provide this answer to our clients. So like er, there's so much urgency that they want, or it feels like it's all on us. It's our responsibility. Our traditional training really sets us up to feel that way as clinicians. And so we've got to, we've got to come into the the room in, in a completely different way than that. And that can be really hard to learn as a newly minted clinician. Yeah. And you said that so beautifully and you do supervision. uh, You also help to, you talk about burnout, which can happen in any level of seasoning, right? And the course that I was, that I teach in the fall of each year's nutrition therapy for eating disorders, it's a graduate elective course, but one of my mantras is knowing all the answers is not one of the purposes of this class, that we're going to create an understanding, encourage conversation, we're going to float out the broadening issues or ideas, and then give people room to live and figure things out. Mm -hmm. So I kind of use the example of like tossing something to our client. It's a gentle, let me just catch it. And I know you can't see me, those of you who are listening, but then that the client can kind of hold it and then let it go if it's not fitting for them. But I don't have to have all the answers. So Haley, how do you help people with burnout? I mean, that's huge, right? It's so big. And there's a whole list of reasons we could go through of why burnout rates are so high, not only in the field of dietetics, but also like specifically within our niche here of of eating disorders work. But I I do think it has to start from day one. We have to have a plan for ourselves. We can't wait until we're feeling exhausted and have lost our passion for this work. We can't wait till that point because then that's, it's not too late. It's just we've got to be preventative, just like we are with our clients in starting to work on relapse prevention from day one. This is the same thing. This is the same thing. And we live in a culture that is the hustle culture. We live in do more. We're Americans. Many of us listening, I don't know if this is worldwide, but speaking to my American colleagues here, our culture here is very much do as much as we can and pride yourself on that. The more that you can accomplish, the thicker your resume is, then the more worthy you are as a clinician. So we're, we are surrounded by that. And it just is, it leads us to this place of burnout very, very, very quickly and intense pressure where we're not helping anybody when we get to that place. Mm -hmm. I really like Dr. Adela France's emotion focused clinician tree. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of that is amplified by burnout. 
that's what I did. I did a beta for supervisor supervision last year and had a therapist pair with that using the emotion-focused tree. And it was so, so powerful to get folks in the room to, it was Zoom. Everything had gone to Zoom by then. And then to have the therapist that's just bring us through. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Haley Goodrich, Certified Eating Disorders Registered Dietitian and Supervisor, and a quick shout out to the sponsors of today's episode, Within Health. I want to let you know, because it's really timely, October 12th, 13th, and 14th is their first ever online summit. There's a link in the show notes to this free webinar. If you want CEs, there's more, uh, there is a charge, but the rest is available to you at no charge. Charge. Crucial role of brain in eating disorders and recovery process, challenging weight stigma and discrimination on the journey to body liberation, resolving barriers to involving male loved ones in eating disorder treatment, all of the things. That's just half of day one and there are three days in this summit. Within Health is unique in that it's virtual and a comprehensive and personalized treatment for those with eating disorders. It's built on tech enabled and digitally digitally it's built on tech enabled and digitally native platform. Within brings a full multidisciplinary team, remote patient monitoring and get this next one, food delivery to the home and aftercare, all into the home, and all of this to increase access, improve outcomes, promote healing. Within Health offers virtual partial programs, so PHP and IOP levels of care, depending on each client need. Finally, all scheduling is flexible and determined on an individual basis. Within Health treats ages 13 and up and all gender, so check it out. The links, again, are in the show notes. I love that, and I, I love Adele's work so much. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite new modalities. I just, there's so many things. Another reason for this podcast is when somebody's starting into the field, there's like, which direction do I go? Where do I spend my energy, my resources, my my dollars, my, and energy for someone who's newer in the field too. They're just coming out of undergrad or an internship or licensure supervision and then to have to go into supervision again to treat eating disorders and we're not talking for certification it can be but it can it can also be for full openness I'm always in supervision and I have different supervisors for different things people who I can just be myself and they can call me out on gently on what I need to know. Yeah. What's interesting too, I would say majority of my days now in my career are in supervision of some kind, whether I'm the supervisor or the supervisee running a group, facilitating a group. And I have to say, I think I learned just as much, maybe even more in facilitating groups or giving supervision, which is really interesting. I don't know if you experienced that as well. I so have. And one of the Mm -hmm. ways that I open my groups are this work is hard. I am, my groups are intentionally small. I keep six in there, but I, I, this work is hard. So let's start with a gratitude. So each person then says they're what they're grateful for, either something they tried with a client or, or something personal. And then we talk about any webinars or trainings or takeaways that you can share with the group. So when you said, learn so much from them, 
yeah, that is a big part of it. And then when a case is presented, I ask the people in the group to to ask some clarifying questions so that everyone's, you've got your brain wrapped around this client and it's a group effort and then clarifying questions. And then at the end, we, we just kind of, okay, what do you want to do with the information that you got today? And we can hear how that person will phrase it to their client or with their client and whether it happens that way or not in session it doesn't matter. It's that the, the neural pathways are starting to be built. That's beautiful. I love that layout for a group setting. I think it's the way you've done that allows everyone to feel less alone in their thoughts. Cause I think we often come to supervision really down on ourselves when the case is not going as we had imagined. So that's so lovely because all, yeah, all the questions seem to pop up from everybody and and you think, oh my gosh, I was thinking that too, or I couldn't find the words to say that, but that's exactly what was going on for me. Yeah. So I use the example from Fiona Sutherland and Tracy Brown's trauma-informed nutrition program. It was so, so powerful. We all have our nervous systems coming into the room and being able to identify that just openly, as she says, put it on the table is so helpful. And what would you say, this kind of came up before we hit record, if you're seeing a client for their first time and they are younger and they tell you that they hate you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is undoubtedly going to happen. Some variation or version of that in your work with a client, they are going to get very mad at you. They're going to be disappointed in you. Maybe they are going to maybe even use the word hate that will happen. And I always advise dietitians when they're reflecting on this situation to notice what happens for the human part of them, what their initial thought is, right? You can almost feel yourself tense up right now if you're listening to, oh my gosh, somebody hates me. What have I done? Um, that's almost the first thing that happens is just as a, a human response. We don't like to disappoint people. We don't like to do things wrong. And so to remember that that's probably going to happen is your default setting. And again, we're set up perfectly for that by our traditional training to have to know all the answers to, to be able to perform these actions of like, make these people healthy, make them happy. So that, you know, pairs lovely with our, our natural response as a human to tense up that way. So instead I offer to have a long pause, lots of pauses in our work, right? And the more pauses, the better. So to have a lot of pause so that your human self can come back into the room, you can regulate your nervous system and not respond based on your initial human response. And instead you can come back in the room and actually maybe even offer up a question back to them instead of having some big apology or responding with urgency as they're showing up with urgency, right? So they say, I hate you. Like, I hate being here. I hate you. My my mom made me come. And I would give it a good pause. Probably on your end, it's going to feel really awkward. And that's okay. I think as a clinician, you get used to that. And it feels less less awkward over time. And you might throw some empathy and a question right back instead of offering an apology. You don't want to apologize, right? So you might say, oh, gosh, I can't imagine having to go and sit somewhere and talk to someone when you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to be there. You don't want to tell them anything. They may be telling you things that you definitely don't want to hear. 
That sounds horrible. That sounds absolutely horrible. I'm appreciative that you feel you can express what you're feeling. And I'm wondering what it is that you hate most about this, you know, and offer a question up to them. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. I like that. The phrase of, I'm, I'm glad that you feel like you can express your feelings to me. So Beth gave this example, but that, <laughs> that happened to me. We were just talking about it. And Haley, even as you were explaining how you can feel different reactions is exactly what I felt in the moment. And now that I've been pretty much solely working with teens for two years now, like I've got, I've got thick skin. So I feel like I can handle things being thrown at me, but I do remember in like my stomach and my chest, like heat, like I could feel my heart rate come up. Like, Oh my gosh, this girl hates me. Like, Oh man. All right. But then I get, again, I guess just from experience and then having the opportunity to be on this podcast, I felt like my brain did a good job. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I can respond sympathetic. Whereas when I first started, I definitely would have been like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What did I say? How can I fix it? So I I like the, how you explained it though. I'm going to have to use that. Like, I'm glad that you can feel like you can express what it is that you're feeling. That's a good one. Mm, and I loved Haley's appreciation to them for being able to say that because it's possible that their nervous system in the room is just trying to shut you up yeah, exactly. and to say, I'm going to throw something at her verbally. That's just going to get her to shut up. And so what that might do is when you express that appreciation for you being able to say what you needed to say is kind of throw their nervous system for a loop of like, oh, but not really. I mean, it's actually to to help them feel a little more calm that, that you can throw anything at me. This mm-hmm. is the safest possible space that I can provide for you. So I, I got it. I mean, this is all this feels awful, doesn't it? Yeah. Loved it. And the, the, I, I wrote down and circled that will happen. <laughs> and Abby, I didn't say you before I brought up that example, because it's, it's not a way of calling anyone out that will happen. Haley and I have been doing this long enough mm-hmm. to see it in our own work and in our supervisees work and to have, have received some supervision ourselves over it. Lots of learning to regulate our own nervous system in tandem with, or while we're in the room with a client, which I had not heard any of that language in my training, not till after I'd become a clinician, not even till years after I became a clinician. So mm-hmm. that right there, I think we could do a much better job introducing that. That's self-care for the clinician. I feel like we should start there. That's, that's a preventative. We were talking about burnout. That's, that's preventative 101 right there is learning about your own reactions and emotional landscape as the clinician, what's going to happen to that? How are we going to regulate that? Mm. So I'm just going to catch you because you use the word should, and also we should do a better job of starting with that. And that you, and you'll agree that our clients, ourselves, if we heard something five years ago, it may not really mean the same thing if we hear it today. So it's a, just acceptance for wherever we are in the, in our process. Absolutely. Beautiful. I'm curious about Inspired, your group. So obviously you have a team that works there. So what is what is that like? Are you running supervision for them? And how do you help prevent burnout with your team? Mm, 
Good question. Our team is on a big growth spurt right now. We are continuing to expand and try to meet the the demands of our our area, which I'm sure you're both seeing where you are too. It's just, it was already, the demands were there pre-pandemic, but I've just noticed, I mean, we can, our wait list, it's, it's not good. So we're on a huge growth spurt. I've been doing a lot of hiring recently, which is so fun. All different levels too of clinicians with, you know, experience, nice range of experience, which is lovely. One of my team members, she, who has been a dietitian on the team is about to finish up school to become a therapist. So she will be switching roles and be a therapist on the team, which has made our team supervisions. Just, it has brought new light to them to have a therapist in the group. Love that so much. I would love to have more therapists on my team. That's my big dreams. So yes, we do weekly supervision as a team. And then I offer also one-on-one sessions to my associates. And I also then run, let's see, right now I have, I try to do them seasonally, quarterly, maybe quarterly, maybe more like three times a year groups. And I have three going right now and they are small groups. As you were mentioning Beth. there's six people to a group as well, six clinicians to a group. And those clinicians are from all over, all over the world. So that's really fun. That's separate from my team, but I love doing those groups as well. I want to be in your group right now. I just want to sit and listen and be be part of that collaboration with therapists. That is something that is a gift that not many people can will their, themselves into. I, I think about some words from Dr. Margot Main, who said, find your tribe, find your team. And you have to be able to in your area because Haley, you're in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So you're on the, in the East Coast. You had to find your team, you know, and now it's growing. And that's what I was telling Abby before we got on too, is that we, we need more dietitians. We need dietitians who can do medical nutrition therapy. So it's really good. I was interested to hear that you were started out in doing trauma and ER work, you know, as a health science kind of biomed science, that those are important, whatever you're learning in your internship and your undergrad programs, or if you start as a clinical dietitian with the goal of coming into the field of nutrition counseling or eating disorders or disordered eating, it's kind of like, find your group, the people that you feel good around and that you can be vulnerable with. And, and that includes therapists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to, you have to have these folks to lean on. They need you to lean on and we're, we create better work and we help our clients more thoroughly and we prevent burnout, honestly. Yeah. I definitely couldn't have been in this field as long as I have without that. Cause I've, I mean, been, in and out of burnout several times. And what pulls me out is that good collaboration with the other team. So just to use Abby's example, if somebody said as an earlier clinician, if a teen would have told me they hated me or was crying or yelling at me or whatever it may be, or a parent, I would then consult with, with the therapist on the team and say, you know, what am I is this something that I'm doing? Is it something that you're seeing in my personality or in my process or, and then, or is it something 
And it, again, it's not binary. It can be a combination of both, of, of all of it, that um, is part of this, this child or teen or, or parent that I need to be aware of next time I see them. Yep. The therapists offer up such beautiful insight. Gosh, I wouldn't be where I am without, without them. Oh. We talk so much about in the outpatient setting, you can feel like an island as a dietitian, you know, like you're not in the hospital. You can't walk over and talk to the doctor or the therapist, whoever. That's another reason why it's so nice to have a therapist on your team. Like, oh, hey, what do you think about this? This just happened. But in again, highlights supervision, why it's nice to just have people in your pocket that you can reach out to because it can totally be isolating, especially now that we're doing so much virtual work. Absolutely. Um, You're right. Since the pandemic, we've gone almost hundred percent virtual. We still have our office that will, you know, offer in-person sessions if we need to, if that's necessary, but so much is virtual now, which which I would have never anticipated or even I would have never seen myself liking, but I surprised myself. I don't know if either of you have noticed that. It's not I really like it. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. It's good to have the option. I do like to have in the room for that mm-hmm. first visit. I really ask if that's possible for them to be there to at least that first visit to have both bodies in the room or however many people support or whatever is there. But there's so much more we can do in virtual and telehealth. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Haley, I ha- do have a wrap up question for you. So if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Hmm. I think I'm going to answer that and probably repeat myself because a lot of what our conversation has been about today But for me specifically, if I were going to answer that for me, it would be a lot around my own perfectionism and allowing myself to be seen as a human in front of my client and allowing, I guess that relieves so much pressure from us and so many different, I guess, from so many different avenues when we can just be a human and not have to be expected to have the answers for sessions to go absolutely perfect, whatever that means. We don't have to put the pressure on ourselves that we have to have this person fixed in a certain amount of time. And it has to look a certain way that we're not individually responsible as clinicians for another person's healing or that looking a certain way. Again, having a time frame. I wish I had known all of this and could just relieve that pressure because it was playing so much into, or I guess my perfectionism alongside that just kind of create a perfect storm for a lot of unnecessary stress and being so hard on myself. So yes, those are the things that if I could go back to my younger self, I would first of all, just give myself a hug and say all those things. And there's the joke that dietitians are wired for perfectionism and we we Mm want to have those numbers and we want to have the formulas and we want to do all the things. And so thank you for that so much, Haley. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you both for this conversation, for having me on this podcast. This has been just lovely and is rejuvenating. These types of conversations are so rejuvenating for me. So thank you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. 
If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.